Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK, brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with Jeffrey Bowling, founder and owner of Kukala Diamonds and owner of Jeffrey B. Jewelers. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from Los Angeles, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from New York City. Hey Rob, how are you? I'm okay, hanging in. It's a uh, first day of summer camp for my uh, little one, so... Well, that's exciting. Is yeah. he is he all day? Yes, all day. But it's a weird summer camp because I think they just give the kids iPads and that's <laughs> all they do, so... Of course, he loves it, but not a traditional camp. Let's say. You kind of want them to get exhausted, so they just fall asleep the minute they get back in the door, exactly. right? Exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we should probably cut to the chase because we've had a guest waiting, and I'm thrilled to talk to him. I've seen his name pop up here and there because we've covered him on JCK a little bit in his role as a retail jeweler in Denver, Colorado, and our guest today is Jeffrey Bowling. The reason we're talking to him, and we'll get into this, of course, is because he's founder of a new company called Koala Diamonds. We will ask him to explain the origin of that name and its specialty is African cut diamonds. So we're thrilled to have you, Jeffrey. Welcome. Victoria, thank you so very much. It's a pleasure to be here. With, yeah. Uh, well, we, like I said, we, we've covered you a little bit. I, we've searched through JCK online and it was almost a decade ago. We'd covered you as a retailer in your store. So tell us quickly, it's, it's where it's in Denver, right? It's Jeffrey B. Jewelers. Yes. Yes. We're in uh, downtown Denver or Cherry Creek area in Denver. We moved from the suburbs down to Cherry Creek area a little bit before the the pandemic and it's been doing good we're 14 years in business now God, that's great i don't know denver very well but i do remember chair creek being a really nice area so exactly exactly so rob do you want to kick off because you and jeffrey met in person right was it a conference? yeah yeah and jeffrey was very excited to to meet with me and uh, usually when someone's like very excited to meet with you you know sometimes it's great sometimes it's not so great but this was definitely i was like okay i'm glad i met this guy because i think he had a really interesting story to tell but you go back in the industry for a long time. So you want to talk a little bit about how you got started? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got started in retail. I got out the military. I was a military guy, artillery. And it's kind of weird to go artillery to diamonds. But uh, when I started college, I needed a part-time job. And I got a part-time job at Zales in uh, Akron, Ohio at the Bailey Banks and Biddle store at the time. That was 1988 when I got started. So it's quite some time ago. Wow. And then you started it, and that's where you're from, I take it. Are you from Ohio? Yeah, I'm from Ohio. uh, Born right on the border of Ohio uh, and Pennsylvania. And so uh, from there, I end up taking a lot of jobs. I I think we were talking about Bud Flutie uh, was a really inspirational person to me. Oh, Bud Bud's the man. And and he just, you know, as a as a young guy, when I took that job, I would have black people come in the store and just be so amazed that I was working there. And I did not know it was that big of a deal. And they would say, oh man, you know, I remember, you know, they used to send us away from the store and tell us we weren't able to shop here. They sent us and so happy to see that you're working here now. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I didn't know jewelry industry was this way. And then Bud, I called Bud and he reached out to me and just kind of like mentally put his arms around me. And it was like, I don't know, just was always encouraging, extremely encouraging to the point of 
forcing me to go to DCA and forcing me to get into the management program and telling me that I needed to be a manager. And eventually I did and got my own store. And then I moved to Manhattan and managed the stores in New York. And again, reached out to Bud and said, listen, career's kind of making a shift. What can I do? And he says, let me make a call. And he got me on the road to do remount shows for Zales. And he was president of special events at the time. And so for five years, I did remount shows throughout the whole country and got to travel the whole country going to malls all from Alaska to Miami. And so really, I mean, he kept me in the industry by finding that different opportunity for me, you know, getting me outside and being able to see a lot more of the industry. And then, then my career kind of, you know, started to change. I ended up going back to Zales for a while as a district manager. I went on the road again, left Zales, went on the road to be a diamond salesman. So that was my first introductory of just walking door to door, schlepping diamonds, you know, hey, I got a package of diamonds, you want to buy it. And, uh, you know, so that was part of the Kukala experience is that as long as I've sold diamonds and as much as I've sold diamonds and, and being the diamond shows I did with Zales, that's all I did was sell diamonds. And yet I didn't know the true story behind diamonds. And I've heard the bad stories, you know, they're taken, they, you know, the Africans do not get any beneficiation of, of the diamond sales. And there are people out there who don't want to buy diamonds because of the history of diamonds. And, and I never really followed down that, that rabbit hole until about a year ago, after all of these years, you know. So back up for one second, you sort of left behind the sa- the traveling diamond salesman career. And you said you got to Denver. Was that about a decade ago? Yes, we opened up in 2010. Prior to that, I was doing a company. I started a company with uh, my partner out of Uniontown, uh, David Katz. We started Your Line Jewelry together. And that was a concept of doing a lot of CAD work that we were trying to get stores to understand that you could brand yourself. You didn't have to brand a designer. You could brand yourself because your customers really knew who you were. And mm-hmm. so we started making lines for individual stores, which is doing, it's companies doing good today. Yeah, prescient, really. So you've covered all these different facets of the jewelry industry. So what happened a year ago that you came across this idea of African cut diamonds? You know, it's a, it's a you try to say the story in a, in a good way. And, and it was, I was at the Gem Awards a year ago when they gave a head of the marketing of the De Beers a Lifetime Achievement Award. And in that moment, he talked about the new vision of the Beers and talking about all the good. I, mean, I think he told a story about a, being at the top of a mine and looking down with an engineer and the engineer says, you know, do you see when you're looking at mine and he talked about how diamonds are building schools and how people come to South Africa now and in Africa and Botswana for education and how there's so many more hospitals all because of diamonds and diamonds are doing such amazing for the people of Africa. That's the first time I ever heard somebody say that in all these years and I, I remember thinking I think that's that's BS. But I didn't say nothing. And I, and, I, and I come on back home into my store. And it so happens that the very next day, I'm, I'm a president. I'm on the, the president of the board of Simphiola, which helps inner city kids. And I bring kids in every month and tell them about the jewelry industry, inner city kids. And their parents came to pick them up. And I go real quick and I tell them about the story of the last weekend. You know, the yesterday I was just here and listened to the beers talk about how diamonds are helping black Africans. And man, we're just so happy about buying diamonds and it's helping everybody. And the Parents all looked at me and they were like, that's bullshit. And I was like, no, no, no. I mean, so I didn't know the truth, right? I really didn't know the truth. And so all of a sudden it was on my heart of what is going on with diamonds? And where are Black Africans with diamonds? I've done this long career. It's been very good. The industry's been good to me. What have I given, you know? And so let me look deeper into this story. And while it was on my mind, I'm at the Vegas show six months after that. 
I'm at the Vegas show and I'm standing at the BIJC booth, Black and Jewelry Coalition. We're showing a line that me and my son have put together. First time ever a black organization has a booth. I was at the show in 1993, 92, when the garbage men and the people in the in the concession stands would come up to me to shake my hand and say they'd never seen a black man work wow. in the booth like this and how proud they were of me. So I've lived that part of the life. And here I am for the first time at a booth. The JCK is actually helped sponsor black American to actually showcase their things into a jewelry industry that I've loved. This is an emotional time. I'm extremely happy, right? I, I just can't believe that we've come that far in our industry. And here comes this guy walking up to me. And I remember seeing him in the JCK magazine. I says, you know, are you LaBoo? And he says, yes. He said, who are you? And what's this Black and Jewelry Coalition all about? And we have a conversation. And then I tell him what happened in New York. And he looks me dead in my eye and he says, Jeff, it's true. Everything that you said about diamonds and everything the beer said about diamonds is true. Today, diamonds are truly helping Black Africans. It can do more. And I love to talk to you about how it could be more but right now that's a true story if you want to go back to 50 years ago you know you can talk different about diamonds but today diamonds are doing an amazing thing in africa and you need to come see it and that's how this hall started and he's a cutter correct Yes. And he invited you over, I guess? Yes. You know, it started off with us having a conversation about changing the narrative about what he started to tell me that I didn't know, that there were so many Black African companies that were doing diamond cutting in South Africa, that there was a time when Black Africans couldn't participate in the diamond market. And now there's people like him who are partnering up with great companies like Pachanic, you know, which I end up going down to to see their new building open. And so he was enlightening me about how much work the Black Africans had been doing in the jewelry industry and in diamonds particularly, and yet have never really gotten the credit for it. And I said, well, how can we change that? How, how can we talk about it? And that's where we started talking about what it means to look at some of the smaller diamond cutting in South Africa. There's over 20 independently black owned companies that do diamond manufacturing. And I, I had never heard that. I mean, I've never seen cutters at the wheel that were African. And now it's not uncommon to see it, almost in any of the advertisement that has come in over the last couple of years. But prior to a couple of years ago, you would never see that. So then the boo calls me and says, Jeff, we're opening up this new building with Pachanic and we got this new building. The prince or the king of Belgium is coming. This is the time for you to come. You know, you could come and we will walk you around to all of these cutters and manufacturers and you get to meet them. And then I want you to, to tell your story and tell your vision of what you think that you can do. And I said, OK, you know, and, you know, that's the time. Let's do it. And so me and my son took off to Johannesburg and it was just an amazing experience to, to meet all of these people there. Conley Diamonds, you know, Vivid Diamonds, the two ladies that I got a chance to meet who've had their company, their diamond company for 20 years. You're talking two women owning a diamond manufacturing company for 20 years. That's a story that resonates here in the United States, but needs to be, you know, massaged and, and brought in and figured out how to make the transition of the diamonds from there to our stores. And so you and your son, is it Christian? Did I yes. that? Yes. How, how old how old is he? 29. And what was his reaction to the whole thing? Well, you know, I, it's so funny. I, I wanted to answer the question, honestly, but there have been many of people who went to Africa, and this is my first trip to Africa, who say it feels like you're going home. It feels like you feel comfortable. You feel so elated. And I used to think, ah, you can't really feel that way. You've never been to Africa. We've never, you just couldn't really feel that way. I did. I felt all of that. I mean, it was it was literally like, felt like going home. And, and it's it's hard to describe. 
And I've listened to people say it's hard to describe. And for me, it was. I mean, you're in another country, you travel so far away, and everything feels so comfortable. And the people were so nice. The people in the hotel were so nice. The manufacturers we met were so nice. And um, I even got an opportunity. I met a new person that took over the economic development in South Africa, invited me out to the village that there was a ceremony for tombstone revealing. And I got a chance to actually travel all the way to a village. And, and they had a party out there. And it was yeah, it was it was it was amazing. I can't wait to get back. <laughs> Sounds amazing. It does really. I think we definitely want to hear about just the the cutting scene there. You said there was twenty or so black owned cutting companies in South Africa. Yes, and I know it's it's hard even to, to think of it that way. That these are black owned African cutting manufacturers, and they hire. I think uh, the most I've seen at one was about 15. They had 15 cutters in their facility. When I went to Laboo's factory, I got a chance to talk to a diamond maker. Um, and when they talk about making a diamond, that's the planning process. I had him on video. I got a video of him just talking about trying to get the most yield out of the diamond and using this 3D program in order to do it. And everybody in the room is Black African. And they're all just so highly technically advanced on this whole process. And then also too, the, to get engaged with them and the pride in which they take each one of them in what they do, it, it reminds me of like, if you've ever been to New Orleans and you go to a restaurant and the chef comes out and they're so proud of what they're doing because they're making the best food they possibly can, you know? But the cutters, to see that level of pride in their work and diligence in their work and the expertise that they, they brought to the table was just a, a proud moment for me. Attention New York City. Don't miss your chance to attend the De Beers Rough Diamond Experience. July 20th and July 21st dates are still available. This one-day workshop explores how to sort and value rough diamonds. De Beers has a unique position in the world of diamonds in that they explore and recover diamonds from Botswana, Canada, South Africa, and Namibia. This course allows students to experience how De Beers experts sort and value the rough diamonds that they recover. It is a truly unique opportunity to study with the world's leading diamond experts. Visit institute.debeers.com to register today and save 10% with code JCK underscore 10. One of the things that you often hear is there's long been this, I guess you could call it a bit of tension that the African countries want to cut and polish more in their own country. Uh, and there's an argument, is it economical to cut diamonds in, in some of these countries with high labor costs? What was your opinion and experience with that? And that was a very good point. And I think that's why they do concentrate on 30 point diamonds and up. When you get into smaller stones, it isn't economical to do it in, in Africa. I think that's why the, the, the Indian market has really dominated that even in China, uh, where the labor cost is lower for smaller stones. But when you're talking larger stones, the skill set and the dollar that the sell of the diamond and the, the, the price of the diamond brings definitely offsets the labor cost. So for the expertise that you're getting, it's going to be very economical to do it in, in anywhere in Africa, whether it's Botswana or South Africa or Namibia. And, and the JCK, I mean, we, we see Antwerp companies, Indian companies, Israeli companies. We don't really see a lot of African companies at uh, JCK. Do you think there'll be a, a time when they will market more direct to the U.S. consumer? I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. That is my goal. You know, what I'm talking about now is really happening on the ground. But what I had to learn is the lack of financing that is available 
to all black Africans that are from the continent. There is a need for financing. When you look at India, India has a wealth of companies that only finance diamonds. So if you have a diamond manufacturer in India, you can get the money to buy the rough. And that's where it starts. Labor costs, uh, that's, that's doable. But buying the rough is where the problem is. So the reason why you're not seeing you know, black African companies there is the fact that even though they are doing the cutting, whoever buys the rough owns the rough. And now you end up just being a cutter and a polisher and giving that diamond back to the original owner, which is the person who bought the rough. And so if you don't have the financing, you can't bring the polished gems to the United States. And, that, and that's where, as Kukala, that's our goal is to try to massage the system to find a way to get the financing or to start in a smaller way in order to be within the restrictions of the money that we have to work with or those cutters have because the cutters have to be able to buy the rough and then bring it back to their factory and cut it. That's why you're not seeing it. One question, where where are these companies sourcing the rough? Is it like a lot of it is, are they De Beers goods or? Yes. Well, and man, what a learning process. And that's a whole class when you just said, <laughs> are they De Beers goods or are they from other mines? That is a PhD that I've learned to try to get. But yeah, so De Beers has multiple mines, right? And that's the difference in buying from De Beers, being a site holder and buying from De Beers. They are buying from Canada to Namibia to Botswana, South Africa. So they have a lot of mines. So when you buy from them, it's an aggregate of their parcels. But there are different mines that are only in the Kimberley area that are only South African mine. And also the Diamond State Traders only gets rough from De Beers that is actually mined in South Africa. So there are multiple mines and then there's tenders where there are small people that also mine from artisan mines and they'll do it in a tender where you'll get more of a run of the mine, all of the stuff, good to bad. When you buy from De Beers, you're really being able to isolate it because of the way they categorize the rough. You can know a little better what you're buying. Right. Good point. And I'm thinking here, of course, I know that De Beers does aggregate its goods and it has its site holders, its clients that are you know, vetted and so on. But I can't think of, and Rob, you may know this, are there, does De Beers have any site holders, site holders who are black owned, like black owned? Yes. Uh, they just had the first, correct? Yeah, uh, yes. I just was, uh, Malifa, I just was on the phone. He He's a really good friend of Boo and I got to meet with him. We have been talking here recently for the last couple of days about how to, to really push Kukala forward. But Malifa is an amazing man. And he is one of the very first African black site holders himself, mm. uh, which is uh, a, a huge feat. It's a, you know, it's like a 10 year project uh, in order to get qualified to be a, a site holder. Wow. Um, but yeah, he does. He is. He is. Was matter of fact, was really uh, amazing. Not that we got to necessarily celebrate with him, but he bought his first site when I was in South Africa. Oh. Which was like, wow. you know, his true initiation of writing a big check. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So th this is going to be a, a wholesale brand, correct? Yes. So you talked about how you were talking to a bunch of parents and you told them what. Uh, I guess we in the industry call the diamonds do good story. And I'm sure you were completely sincere and enthusiastic. And yet people were very skeptical. How can you get over that skepticism? Because well, look, that's the thing. And, and I think what I think the industry of and I say the industry only in the, the diamond industry of the diamonds do good and the people that are on the ground trying to get the beneficiation correct. They realize that the message sure is as important as the message. 
when I sat there and had the next wave of kids come in and with the confidence of knowing what's on the ground and coming from an African-American man telling them, I know that diamonds are doing good things in Africa. I know that there are black owned companies. They were shocked when I told them there were black owned companies that were doing diamond manufacturing. And it's, you know, of course had to explain what diamond manufacturing really meant. But I think the messenger means a lot to the message. I mean, it's one thing to tell somebody a story that you're not really that closely related to versus somebody that's intricately related to that story and the struggle of that story. I think eventually there'll be more people like me telling the story. I'm trying to tell it like I am now. I'm going to stores. And when I go to stores and tell them that there is an opportunity to buy diamonds from Africa, from Black-owned companies and brought to you by a Black-owned company, whereas you have thought at times somewhere along this chain, somebody from that land had been hurt or not taken care of or disadvantaged. That's not true. There are avenues that you can actually buy totally, totally energy-filled diamonds of the people that are from the continent. And before we started the podcast, you told me something very interesting about how the brand's name was pronounced. Yes, Kukala. So I, we went to South Africa and I said, well, I wanted to come up with a name, right? So, you know, I said, well, you know, this is going to be a fight, right? This is going to be a fight to break in the doors of, of American companies and bring uh, a true story of diamonds to the United States. We're going to have to work really hard. So it brought into my mind the Zulu, right? The Zulu warriors, the Zulus were always thought of the ones that are willing to take the fight to the people. So the Kukala is a Zulu word. It means the first, the previous. Um, our concept is that, you know, we're the first of trying to make this move from mine to polish to the sale all through a narrative of the native people. And, but then when we got to South Africa, we told the people in the hotel, we said, well, we got the company Kukala and we're doing this in diamonds. And they say, Kukala, says, yeah, it's a Zulu word. And it says, I've never heard of it. And, and I'm Zulu. I'm like, no way. And so I showed him the card and the lady looks at me and says, oh, Kukala. I said, what did you say? And she said, oh, Kukala. And so you have to click your tongue. The, the Q is a click. So it's actually Kukala, which we had to learn ourselves. And I said, well, in America, I think we don't have to call it Kukala. But, you know. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, the clicking language is not, not the easiest for American. I know, I know. But yeah, we learned that while we were over there. Amazing. I love it. And have you introduced the concept to any retailers? Have you done some soft, I guess, soft launches? Yes, yes. that's been the, the exciting part. Uh, me and Labu sat in a room in Vegas and talked it all out and, and how, you know, the whole idea of what I, my vision. And so when I talked to stores about it, I said, well, we have to go talk. So I've called several stores and not one store has not loved the idea. First of all, they didn't know that it was possible. Right. They didn't know that they were black African cutters, but they love the idea that this was such a pure story. Right. It's a story that hasn't been told that there's talented. And we all know that diamonds are coming from Africa and we all know that the uh, the people of the continent are black, but we don't buy from them. We, we don't even feel that we're buying from them. And yet you feel to some degree that you owe that. 
right? You, you, you owe the buy from the people that, that it's the land is their diamonds, right? And so to be able to do that is so refreshing. And what I was explaining to, to one store, I said, the, the one guy was in a meeting with me and he says, well, man, you said black a lot. You know, you're black this, black that. Is it only for black people? I was like, no, that's, you're missing the point. It's, I'm talking about the indigenous people of the continent. And we know that that's the ones who have the diamonds, right? But they haven't necessarily seen a profit of the diamonds. I said, but let's look at it this way. You've had somebody to come into your store and say, I am not in the diamonds because of the damage the diamonds do. Whatever that means to them, it's their truth. But what I want to do is create a narrative of first the talented. Everybody believes that the cutting is all done in Belgium or the cutting is done somewhere else. No, the best cutting is done in Africa. So that's a different story to be told. Separately is that you're going to be able to sell a diamond to a gentleman and say that not only did it come from the land, but it was actually purchased by the people from the land, cut and loved by the people of the land in order to make this brilliant gem that you're looking at today. You can take this diamond, sir, and know that not nobody in this food chain has been hurt. Matter of fact, they were all helped. And so I want that gentleman to go to the country club and to show off the fact that he didn't buy a three carat, but he bought a seven carat. And you know why I bought a seven carat? Because I helped more people. I did more the right thing, the bigger diamond I bought. And when people look at it from that perspective of actually empowering people to buy more, to spend more, I understand that there are people who can't buy a large diamond, but there's a lot of people who can't. And we should encourage them to buy it and we should encourage them to know that when you spend that level of money, you're doing a really good thing. You're really putting the money into the hands of the people that should have had it all along. Will there be African-inspired designs or anything unique about the designs of the jewelry? Yes, and that's a, a nice thing. The Botswana, I'm talking to Botswana, I just talked to a, a group of uh, Botswana designers, and they want to come to the United States also to look at trying to come into the market with their design. And so I'm really excited about a different perspective of that jewelry. We, the Bl Black and Jewelry Coalition, you know, we had about... I want to say seven designers that were represented at that booth. One of the ladies, one of my old customers back in uh, the East Coast, asked her to come and do a uh, show in their store of all African-inspired designs. And I'm really excited about what these young people will be able to do. Kukala is important to open up this dialogue and to let people start looking at the talent and the level of what's happening in Africa. And to bring these designs and these young designers, I think it's going to be exciting. And so I'm hoping to look forward to working with De Beers and uh, Baswana and this group of designers that the De Beers did a design contest. And so the ones that won are looking at trying to come to the United States. And I want to take them to different retails, also to show them the different wholesales of the manufacturing and what's going on in the United States and, and to get a, a better perspective of our market and how to attack our market in order to break through and, and to help them with that project. Such a compelling story, Jeffrey. I mean, all of it. I think you really sold it pretty well just earlier as you're talking about this narrative of Black ownership and, you know, really repatriating all these profits to the people who whose land they're from and who's, who've worked on them. So you showed at JCK a year ago and correct me if I'm wrong, was it this year as well as part of the Black and Jewelry Coalition? Yes, yes. Yeah, you gave it a seminar talk on diversity, which I very sadly missed. But can you tell us a little bit of what you spoke about and what advice 
might give to the industry to, to yeah we were talking that there was a how to implement diversity into your marketing and you know one of the biggest things about it is that you know the united states is becoming more and more diverse especially income wise we're getting more and more diverse and so the stores are looking at how to expand their business and how to talk to a, a crowd of people that may not look like them and so you know we would just encourage them to be authentic is one of the biggest things. And if you want to add diversity to your marketing, make sure you do it at home first. Make sure you hire people of different genders and people of different you know, ethnic backgrounds. So have your home set in, in a diverse way before you invite people into it, right? And so make sure you understand what that, what that means and that you do it in a true sense. And I think it works right along with the, the Black and Joy Coalition, what they have done in pushing the dialogue of diversity has been amazing. You know, like I say, the, the think of 20 years ago that there would be, you know, seven black designers in the JCK show that you, you, you couldn't have made me even vision that, that that would have happened. And so uh, diversity is, is a real thing. And I think you can talk about it from a perspective of disadvantage. That's, that's true. Helping people who have been previously disadvantaged, that's true. But there's also a more listening ears when they realize that there's a profitability of it right? That if you expand your message, if you expand who you can sell to, you can expand your dollars. And so I think that monetary wise, it makes sense to, to companies to look at diversifying. I think there's different ways that you can look at it and see that you really need to bring more diversity into your business. Mm, amen. Jeffrey, thank you so much. What a what a wonderful story. And I really can't wait to see. I hope uh, I see a Kukala booth or Kukala there you go. <laughs> I was just going to say, I hope I see a Kukala booth at Vegas next year. And thank you again, Jeffrey. What a great story. And uh, nice. lots of trade, uh, Af swap Africa travel stories when, when we see each other. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. It's been my uh, pleasure to be, to be with you both. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. Any views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinion of JCK, its management, or its advertisers. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.